welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of the hosts, Aja Bonilla. And I'm Charles Sheeland, the other host. And it's new series day. I'm super excited because we get to start a new series and we're starting the Maze Runner trilogy. And as we remind you every week, we're a book club podcast with the Nerd Party Network and we're reading and rereading young adult books and sharing them with each other. Yeah, we're best friends. We share the books with each other and we basically turned that idea that we had years ago into a podcast. So we started this show with a series that Asia had read, and then we moved on to one that I'd read, and now we're back to an Asia series. So Asia's read this one before, she's rereading, and I'm reading for the first time. Yes, and I really love hearing Charles's thoughts on a series as I am also trying to see how much I remember. And I've only read the first two books, so eventually we'll both be newbies, but this reading I definitely have read before, even if I might not remember much. But before we dive into the summary, I'm just going to give a quick intro to the Maze Runner series. And most of the info I did get is from Wikipedia, so if I get something wrong, please feel free to let me know. But written by American author James Dashner, this series consists of The Maze Runner, which was published in 2009, The Scorch Trials in 2010, and The Death Cure in 2011, as well as two prequel novels, which we will not be covering on the show, Unless you all try to convince us otherwise, like we said last week, we might try to do um, a sort of bunch of prequels from other series that we never covered, maybe further down the line. But in late 2005, Dashner had published four books to complete the Jimmy Fincher saga, which was his first series, and it had been with a small regional publisher. His publisher wanted him to write another book, but he decided he wanted to go for a national book market instead. And in a blog post on The Dashner Dude from July 16th, 2008, Dashner explains his journey of coming up with the idea for The Maze Runner with the apt title of The Tale of the Maze Runner. In November of 2005, he had an idea for a series about a bunch of teenagers living inside an unsolvable maze full of hideous creatures in the future in a dark dystopian world. It would be an experiment to study their minds. Terrible things would be done to them, awful things, completely hopeless until the victims turn everything on its head, and he described it as a Lord of the Flies meets Ender's Game meets Holes. So Dashner wrote the first draft from December 2005 to March 2006, but he ended up putting it on hold for a couple of years to focus on another series of his, 13th Reality. He eventually got a deal in 2008 for the Maze Runner series, and with movie adaptations for all three books, it is by far his most popular and well-received series. The Maze Runner, his most widely distributed book, reached 100 weeks standing on the New York Times bestseller list for children's series on September 21st, 2014, two days after the release of the movie adaptation of the book. And to be 100% honest, these books are pretty terrifying from what I remember, so I kind of think it's the perfect series to close out our dystopian unit. And like we said, since we're on the series that Charles is new to, he has to provide the summary of the reading, so we'll go ahead and dive into the first half of The Maze Runner. Yep, back on summary duty, my favorite. So our protagonist, Thomas, is dropped into this giant maze, where there's about a community of about 50 boys who live in a giant maze, trying to survive and figure their way out of this maze, which is full of monsters called Grievers. Also, the walls of the maze move. 
So Thomas is clearly a disruption to the order of this community called the Glade. And then a lot of crazy things start happening, including the arrival of a comatose girl and Thomas's ability to survive the maze overnight. Basically a bunch of drama and we've basically finished with Thomas about to become a runner, which means he'll be instrumental in helping to solve the maze. I don't want to go too more specific because I think we'll just get stuck then, but that's where we're at. My impression of the reading, I thought it was entertaining. I don't think it was profound yet, but I was interested. Like, I couldn't put the book down. I, like, wanted to keep reading, but, I mean, it's definitely not something I would, like, pick out for myself otherwise. Well, yeah, I, for me, I definitely like, don't remember anything specific about the book since it has been over a decade since I read it for the first time, and I've only read it once. But I think I know, like, the general outline of how, like, the story is going to go. But I did read some of the scarier parts, like, right before bed while we were reading this, and it did kind of disturb me just as much as I, like, remember reading it as a kid. But I just have to say, it's definitely going to get a lot worse. That's all I can say. Oh, well, that's fun. I mean, the scary and gross stuff doesn't, like, freak me out as much. I'm, like, pretty good at, knock on wood, not having that, like, freak me out when I read. But who knows? You know, maybe that'll change. (laughs) So let's... I just mean, too, like, how you're saying it's... I I think what I feel like did draw me in, like, as a kid and, like, it's disturbing because there's, like, there's monsters and stuff. But it is, like, very entertaining. Like, it feels like you're sitting on the edge of your seat the whole time because there's constant, like, new things happening. Like, what's going on? Like, is he going to survive? Like, things like that, I feel like, is what makes it really exciting. Yeah, I agree. I just that for me so far, it's not been the kind of book where I am, cl- like, I feel emotionally close to the character. Like, sometimes there are books where, like, I feel like I'm living with the characters. And therefore, when, like, I'm, like, more involved in what's happening, and I think that this one, maybe just because it's, like, it feels like fantasy right now, like, it feels so sci-fi that I'm, like, I can't relate to these people, or I'm, like, they're 16, their problems aren't real, like. (laughs) Well, also because I would say since, like, our main character, like, Thomas, as we're gonna discuss, he doesn't remember anything about his life, so it's really hard to relate to somebody who doesn't know anything about themselves. Yeah. I feel like is also why it's hard to, like, connect. I agree. Like, you know, when you, they're like, I, again, totally on the edge of my seat, but it's not like freaking me out as much because I don't feel like I'm in the story. I feel like I'm watching the story and I'm like, Ooh, this is gross. Like fun. Yeah. I would definitely, I would definitely say that also since this one is told from third person, third person, which I I was a little surprised, honestly, because most of the books I feel like I've read are from first person, but this one is third person. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. So we start with Thomas, and like you said, he has no idea who he is or where he is. He can't remember anything from his past. And he's dumped into the bunch of the boys, or the shanks as they call each other. And they live in the Glade, which is basically their domestic safe haven in a giant maze. And right off the bat, for me, I did not remember that Thomas like went without answers for as long as he did. Like They're definitely building up the suspense. Because, like, and I also think, like, how Charles saying he is having a hard time connecting with the characters. I think what we've gotten in this first half, like, really isn't enough to connect to the characters. Because we still don't really know who any of these people are. We don't know why they're in there. But, like, I'm pretty sure by the end of the book we're going to get lots of answers. So maybe you'll feel a little bit differently by the end. But we'll see. 
Yeah, we'll see. And we should just mention a couple of the so far important leaders. So we have Albie, who's the leader. We have Newt, who's a second in command. Chucky, who's the lapdog. And Minho, who is the lead runner. And then Galley is the resident bully. And Thomas is basically just running around, asking everyone questions, and no one is answering. And he's like, someone tell me things. And everyone's like, no, you shank. <laughs> and Galley, who just seems to hate Thomas right off the bat, because he says that he knows who Thomas is from going through the changing but at this point, we don't really know what the changing is and how would he have seen Thomas before when everybody kind of doesn't know who they are. And like I said, I, I definitely don't remember much. I have an idea as to, like, who Thomas is and, like, what he represents, but, like, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a common occurrence because everyone basically says that they recognize Thomas after they've gone through the changing. And he's like, I don't know why. And... Well, actually, let's talk about it. So the changing is basically what happens when you get stung by the grievers. And it's kind of like a psychotic and physical break. Like, you get all green and you, like, freak out. But then afterwards, like, you've seen things, like, and some people go crazy. And, yeah. Well, it's also specifically that the Gladers, they get their memories back. They get at least some of them. Not all of them, but because right now, basically, they've said... It's explained, like Thomas describes it as, there's memories have been wiped. Like, they still know how to function as human beings. They still know what things are, but, like, they can't put, like, specific memories. Like, they might remember going to the movies, like, knowing what going to the movies is, but they can't remember going with a certain people. They don't know what movie they saw, who was in the movie, but they know, like, that idea as a concept. Like, it's a very specific memory wipe, but by being stung by the grievers and going through the changing, they receive some, like, some of their memories back. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. That was almost a little confusing to me, so I appreciate that. And then we get um, some exposition. And honestly, that's why Chucky is there, is to provide exposition to answer questions. So this is when we find out that they're in a maze, and the most elite gladers become the runners, and Thomas immediately knows that he wants to be a runner, and he's like, this all feels kind of familiar, but I'm not going to tell anybody which is, you know, pretty suspicious. Like, clearly Thomas is more important than your average glader. Yes, and while we're talking about exposition, I should probably say that I will admit for the first time on the podcast, I have brought us into a horror story with literal monsters like the Grievers. And like I said, I definitely think there's going to be a lot more different kinds of monsters in this series. So... Charles, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. This is the most horror thing we've probably read on the podcast. And I wasn't going to say it, but now it's out in the open. And yeah, the Grievers specifically are terrifying. They're like mutant, evil, monster robots that have like slime for skin. Like, it's honestly disgusting. Like, I'm saying, I remember reading as a kid and being like completely like, why am I reading this book? But now it's just kind of like, after what we went through in Nicholas Lamau with the millions of, I'm not even going to say what it is, but you know if you listened, that was traumatizing enough that I think I could read just about anything. But I also <laughs> wanted to mention that Thomas does say that the sun looks odd because, so they're in this maze and they describe like the walls are super duper tall, but 
he can see the sky. And at first, like Thomas says, like he can't see the sun based on what time of day it is. But eventually, as he's there for longer, he does see the sun. But he says it looks odd and that it's more orange than it should be. And Albie tells him how it never rains there ever. So again, we're always saying like with the sun and like the weather, you know, where could this be taking place on Earth? Is it on Earth? Like, is it in some kind of dome or something? But I'm pretty sure, like, I remember why these are the circumstances that they're living in with an orange sun and no rain. But I was just wondering if Charles had any guesses as to what that could mean. Well, I definitely think it's on our Earth, or at least in our universe, because they do talk about very mundane things, like going to see movies. Like, I don't think that it's a completely different, like, universe. Like, I think, you know, this is in a timeline where there was a United States of America and... People's Republic of China, you know, something like that. I think maybe they're on a different <laughs> planet or they're on the moon, which would explain why like, they have a different relationship to the sun and different relationship to weather because they might be closer or further away. I don't really know. That seems a because as we know in our solar system, other planets or like celestial bodies can't support human life. So I think what's more likely is that they're probably somewhere above a desert or near a desert because that would explain the lack of rain and, like, the sun reflecting off of sand. I don't know, but, like, if you think about, like, beautiful photos of, like, Arizona and New Mexico sunsets, the sun is always, like, this beautiful burning orange. And if, you know, maybe Thomas was, like, a city kid like me and, like, he's used to seeing, like, a pathetic puny sun... And he goes out, you know, he's somewhere above Costa Mesa. It's you know, gorgeous now. I don't know. Those are my guesses, but I definitely don't think it's like, you know, on the Zolotrop, you know, made up fantasy universe. Like, I think it's our universe and probably Earth. Okay, those are all, those are all good guesses. <laughs> okay. Well, don't tell me anymore. Um, <laughs> this is... All- so we start getting the drama that I mentioned in the summary. So this female corpse shows up in their, like, supply elevator. She's not a corpse. She's she, not dead. Well, they think she's a corpse. And she's super pretty, and she looks super familiar, and then she has a super creepy message. And then she goes into a coma. And, you know, they're just, like, they never had a woman show up in the glade before in the maze. And she says she's the last one, and that's all really freaky. And then Ben, who is a glader, he'd gone through the changing. He attacks Thomas because, as we mentioned, the changing makes him recognize Thomas, at least for something, with his previous memories. So he, like, tries to kill Thomas. Yes, and this definitely feels important because Ben says that Thomas will want to take them home and get them out of the maze, but it would be better for them to just all go jump off the cliff. So if Ben doesn't want Thomas to, quote-unquote, save them, then whatever he saw must show that the out, that outside the maze is worse than their current situation. And then when Ben tries to attack Thomas, Albie shoots him down with a bow and arrow, but he doesn't end up dying, so he's banished into the maze during like the nighttime, which is when the Grievers come out. And the banishment is very disturbing. Yeah, that's where you really get that Lord of the Flies aspect, where, like, the whole society kind of just, like, bands together. And Thomas is like, guys, this feels a little extreme. And they're all like, nope, 
gotta follow the rules. And, you know, it's kind of like, they're like, the only way we survive is through order. And yeah, yeah. they emphasize like they have to keep order, which it makes sense. Like when they're in their like little society where everything's kind of always just like teetering on the edge of falling apart. Yeah, it makes sense that they would cling to that. But, you know, it's a horror story. <laughs> yes. And if that wasn't enough horror, I knew this was going to happen, but I still think Thomas is absolutely insane for going to the maze at the last second to help Mino and Albi, which basically earlier Mino had found a dead griever or what he thought to be a dead griever. So he took Albi with him and they were gone all day and they made it like into the hallway of like leading into one of the doors to the glade, like at the last second, but like they weren't going to make it inside. And Thomas just makes like a split second decision to like jump out into the maze. He's only been there literally like two days to try and help them. And I was just like, I would never like, I don't care how brave you are. I would never. And then Mino is basically like, we're totally dead. Like you shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. And then he's just like, the only way we'll survive is if we split up and he just runs away. And like we said, Thomas has been in the maze for literally two days. He knows, he really doesn't know that much about the grievers. He doesn't know anything about the maze, but it's just clearly a very terrible situation. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty awful. I would, I don't think I would also, I, I also don't think that I would go into the maze myself, but. I would absolutely not go into the maze. Like, I absolutely, I am not that kind of person. I am the kind of, when you see danger, I'm running the other way. Like, are you kidding me? Only for, like, family members or, like, people I really care about would I be trying to risk my life. But for strangers who I just met, I don't even know who I am. Well, also, I think that, like, it's kind of the whole, like, when you're on an airplane, like, put your mask on, your oxygen mask on before trying to help others. I'm like, let me just get a grasp on reality first before I try to, like, save other people. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, Thomas, because, you know, this is fiction and he's a superhero. He manages to keep a cool head. (laughs) He realizes he's not going to leave Albie because he's, you know, the patron saint of goodness. And Also, yes, because Albie's injured. He's been... Stung by a griever. Yes. So he's he's just he's lying there, past being helped. He's just, he's lying, just there. lying there, and he's just dead weight. He literally is just dead weight. And Thomas also super sleuth genius. He ties Albie up and like pushes him up the wall to get him out of the griever range, and like it works for a little bit. Like he's already survived longer than anyone would expect. But then the griever griever starts to climb up the walls, and I was like. Yeah, this is when I got scared. This is when I was like, this is horrible. Like, who wants, like, <laughs> you know, because it would have already been terrifying enough if the griever couldn't climb, but they had to sit there on the wall for eight hours while it was dark. And, you know, Thomas is trying to hold up Albie and stare, but like not move so he doesn't catch the griever's attention. But like, he just kind of like has to freeze there for eight hours. That would have been terrifying enough. No. No, the griever now also climbs the walls. Too much. Too much. Yeah, I'll I'll apologize again, you know, for these horror books. But this is also probably why I never really wanted to see the movies because like I can't even imagine how terrifying this is to watch. Like, watch because we're gonna watch the movies eventually when we catch up with all the other things, but that is not gonna be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel like imagining the Mulefa was funny. This is gonna be terrifying. 
Well, somehow, somehow Thomas is the only person ever to figure out how to evade the Grievers. So he and Minho trick four Grievers into falling off the cliff. And this is super important. And I was like, this feels important in the book. And then they mentioned it and they talked about it for another page. But when the Grievers go off the cliff, they vanish. Like, they blink out of existence. The noise stops. They vanish. But they throw a rock down the cliff, and that doesn't vanish. Like, it falls, like, with gravity. So, this is super important that clearly the Grievers are different than rocks. Asia, do you have any theories? So, I don't remember why that happens, but I was thinking, you know, maybe only living things disappear. Especially, Thomas says it almost seems like some sort of illusion, which is also very weird. So, like, maybe the Grievers aren't even, like, I don't think that they're not real because obviously the kids actually get stung by them and stuff and like get hurt. But like, I think I, I honestly don't remember, but I, it's definitely something like there's something going on with the grievers and this cliff. Like it's definitely not just like, they just, there's something else going on. I just don't remember exactly what it is, which is really frustrating, (laughs) but it's something else. But also I just wanted to say this night, like while they're running away, it seems to pass by, like extremely quickly like it feels like it was barely like i have to say maybe two hours max when you think about a night of darkness would be like even if we just said it was minimum eight hours but like from the time thomas steps out and the doors close to them separating that had to be like a couple minutes to him deciding to push albie up even if we said he pushed albie up onto the wall it took him an hour before the grievers got to him the like chasing with the grievers that had to happen in like maybe max 10 minutes of him running even if we wanted to stretch it out to 30 minutes of him running from the grievers which is still like not really believable by the way as soon as the grievers go off they're like sunrise yeah and then the grievers go off which it's almost as if the grievers going off the cliff triggered the sunrise early or something yeah so i had a couple ideas about this so one when thomas said the illusion thing i think that's probably the most likely but we'll get to that in a second So I thought them going off, yes, I also wondered if maybe it triggers the day, but I also was wondering if maybe the cliff is the way out of the maze, because clearly they, you know, experience it differently, the grievers. So maybe if that is for living, like living things actually experience something different when they go off the cliff, like, I don't know, maybe that's actually the way out of the maze. I don't know. That was one idea I had. But my biggest theory is actually them being an illusion, that would also tie nicely into like the Grievers leave that triggers a daytime. But also, I was wondering if maybe the whole Griever thing is an illusion because. So we know that people get stung and they all like act all knocked out, but then they always inject the serum in them and then they go through the changing. And I'm like, what if the Grievers aren't real at all? What if it's just the serum that causes the changing and like. I don't know, whoever's controlling them gives them, like, an electroshock when they're supposed to get stung by the grievers, and they just, like, collapse. And then the kids have always just given them the serum, which always causes the changing. So then maybe, like, the grievers don't actually do anything. It's all the serum. I don't know. Something I was thinking about, though I will say the word serum is incredibly triggering for me after reading Divergent and how terribly the serums were used in that series. Well, I think that's an okay theory, but what I would say against that is even though, yes, you're saying the changing, they all take the serum, but they talk about how all the 
like other boys who've died from being out in the maze, whether which it could be that maybe they're not being killed specifically by grievers, even though it seems like they said other kids have died by grievers. And we get confirms of those kids dying because they've buried their actual bodies because the grievers, I guess, like they don't eat like they don't eat the bodies like there's bodies left behind because then the next day when the runners go out, they'll find the bodies so that they have something to bury, which I mean, like I said, I do think there's other monsters in this universe. So maybe it's not the grievers that are killing them. So, I mean, it is definitely something to think about, but I don't necessarily think it's because the grievers aren't real. But I do think that there's something like I don't think the grievers are necessarily like what we're seeing them at as face value. I do think there's something to do with like an illusion or something, but I don't remember exactly. Yeah, that. I have no idea. I no, I should be clear. I don't think that I'm endorsing any one of these theories more than no, you're another. you're just throwing out I ideas. Just was like, I have potential ideas because they're, I agree. Like, they're definitely not. I don't know. And this goes to my combined to my next point was that like this, the creators definitely want to mess with the kids mentally because the whole idea of like letting them survive because of the changing in the serum and giving them some of their memories ends up messing with them more. Like obviously it's better for them to know their identity, but the fact that they know some even more things like ends up messing with them even more and then giving them Thomas, which clearly like triggers them further. Like the creators must want the kids to be suspicious or like try to figure stuff out. Like, I don't know. I just, cause they're giving them the tools to be even more miserable by giving them the serum, you know? Yes. I'm pretty sure I remember why the kids are in the maze, like why the creators put them in there. And I'm also just thinking, I may remember like what, cause how, well, I'll say it when we get to that, but I, I think I do know why, or I think I do know why the kids are in there, and I also know why people are saying they recognize Thomas. Well, I'm really excited to find out. When Which we obviously I can't say, because no spoilers. Yeah, please don't spoil it. Well, so then we have a meeting where they're going to decide Thomas's fate, <laughs> because they're like, gotta follow the rules, but also like, Thomas seems to be like, pretty cool, because he got like, superpowers, and he's got to go to jail for one day because order. But then he's going to replace Minho as the keeper of the runners, which means he's going to be the lead runner. He's been in town for three days. Well, that's what Mino suggests, because basically they have like this meeting and all of the keepers who are basically in charge of the different kinds of jobs, they all get to like say what they think should happen. And Mino's like, you know, I was terrified and I've been here for however long. And Thomas just got here two days ago and he acted like... He just knew what he was doing. He was super calm, like, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, he should replace me as the keeper of runners, which I did feel like was, yes, it was kind of jumping the gun by making him the keeper of the runners when he literally has only run in the maze like that one night, like just in the super dangerous situation. And he hasn't been running in the maze in like the sense of why they're trying to run the maze is to try to find the way out. So I definitely think he should be made into a runner because he's definitely proved that he's capable of that. And then he can work his way up from there because he still doesn't really know what he's doing or what he would be doing in the maze. Like, I feel like he still needs some pointers. Yeah, I would agree. It just seems like he's getting pretty lucky. Yes, which I will give it to Mino because he does end up saying at the end, once everyone else has left the room to Thomas and Newt, basically that, you know, you should shoot high to actually get what you want. So I think Mino's goal was just suggesting that so that Thomas would just be definitely voted in as a runner But he does think that 
he should eventually become the keeper, which is basically what they agree on is that he'll start as a runner and then in a month they'll vote again to decide if he should become the keeper of runners, which like I do think that's like that makes way more sense. So I understand what his plan was. But also Albie says, again, another person saying that he knows who Thomas is because Albie, like we said, was stung by a griever. So he also goes through the changing and he knows who Thomas and the girl are and that he remembers something called the flare, which he's not able to like explain this to Thomas because basically when he tries to explain to Thomas like who he is, he starts like strangling himself, like choking himself to death. So like Charles is saying, maybe in the serum, like whatever is done to them through the changing, it seems like it must have in some way let the creators control them because basically it's not letting him reveal any of the information he received in his memories. So that's really interesting. But as far as this info we get, I was wondering if Charles, like, what do you think that could be? Like, the flair that he talks about, how he remembers this. I mean, I feel like it's probably some sort of bomb or sun or nuclear explosion or, like, the memory wipe. Like, you know, a flare makes me think of, like, a flare gun or a flash grenade, something like a blinding light that would, like, mess with your brain. Or, like, something atomic. Mm-hmm. I just would say, as I'm sure you took note of this, this is very important to the story. That's that's all I'll say. I would assume so. Yeah, I, I, that one I guessed. I was like, that yeah, feels important. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be more obvious. I don't think I remembered the flare in all like it's cat, not all caps, but it's like capitalized like as a proper noun. Yeah. And then again, another moment that I think is going to be pretty important to the story. Thomas now has telepathy. Among his superpowers, he now has telepathy with the girl, Teresa, who is now speaking to him while she's in a coma. She's speaking to him in his brain. And she says that they're the last ones and that they did this to the Gladers and that her name is Teresa. And I think she even calls him Tom rather than Thomas. Yeah, she refers to him as Tom. So that's like incredibly (laughs) dramatic and feels incredibly important. Yes, so Teresa says that they are the last ones and that it'll end soon and that they can pass the trials. Also, trials is capitalized, proper noun. And they sent her as a trigger. And finally, that it was her and Tom who did this to them, to us. Which, in that, I'm assuming she's saying the maze, that they did it, like they put them in the maze or something. And she also says that she's not going to remember anything when she wakes up. So obviously, while she's in this coma, her memory is being wiped. I'm assuming like all the other gladers. So we get some information or like hints, I guess. But like obviously, we don't get any real answers with any of this. And I did, like I said, I don't really remember exact details, but I like I do know like the trajectory of where the plot is going. So like I understand some of what she's saying. But I don't remember, like, any details of, like, how we're going to discover it or anything. But I do obviously know she's clearly important. And, like I said, I do I do think I know what's going to, what this is leading to, essentially. And, like I said, I'm pretty sure we're going to get, like, a good chunk of answers by the end of this book. I mean, we do know the next book is called The Scorch Trials. And that could be the trial yes. she was talking about. So it could be that we're going to get some resolution, but something will go into the next book. TBD. 
Yes. But Teresa talking in Thomas's head does, of course, cause him to have a freak out. And he actually ends up running like the equivalent, the equivalence of a half marathon because he just like runs out into the maze. And then he's like, oh, wait, I have to come back and like comes back. And <laughs> like Charles is saying, Thomas is clearly some sort of superhero because, of course, he is the perfect character for this because he is he says like he somehow knows exactly where he is in the maze and exactly how to get back into the glade like subconsciously like while he's running and freaking out his brain on the side has been like mapping where he's going so he with no struggle no issue is able to return to the glade and in addition to that he's in peak physical fitness so he talks about how he like he recovered extremely quickly from just like the night before being attacked by the griever the grievers and how he had did all that climbing and the lifting of albie and like running like a maniac and then he just in this moment of panic isn't able to run another half marathon literally like the next day like it's just like are people actually built like this or is this just like a fantasy of novels like do people can people do this i mean adrenaline is powerful and i think that if a voice started talking to me in my brain i might start freaking out but like, that's pretty hefty. Like, adrenaline. Adrenaline also doesn't normally last that long. And and I could see the adrenaline explains, like, the physical part of it, but the mental it, of... I mean, it does turn on certain mental acuities, but, like, again, it wouldn't last you for enough time to run for an hour and a half. Yeah, because that's basically how it's like, almost seems. Like, he ran for, like, a minimum of an hour, which, like, I know people, obviously, people run half marathons, people run marathons. Like, people can do that. I mean, not that fast, I don't think, but... It's just, I don't know, I feel it's the combination of the two that makes it seem very superhuman. Like, he's in this peak physical shape to do this, but at the same time, he was having, like, a panic attack, but at the same time, his, like, almost, like, in the corner of his brain, it was, like, making a mental map of this maze that he's never, yeah. he's supposedly never been in before, but... So f- for me, I was assuming at this point when he like says, oh my God, I'm super strong and super healthy and my brain <laughs> is so great. I was like, oh, this just means that he, there's going to be some explanation. Like he's got like a bio implant or something like that. Because it was like, I mean, there's got to be some explanation for them because it, does, it doesn't feel natural. And he says all the boys seem to be in like amazing condition because it doesn't seem like they have access to that many like don't really have a balanced like healthy runners diet where they are so yeah well yeah that'll be definitely i don't specifically remember anything about that so it'll be interesting to see how that is explained but i will say all the running i remember like when the movies were like coming out and like the previews like it is very funny because like it's really called the maze runner like there's a lot of running in this movie so it's a lot of out of breath people a lot of sweating ew gross (laughs) it's just kind of funny because they'll be like, ah, like just it has like a really constantly. famous cast, I think. Like, I think there are oh, a lot yeah, of famous it was a people pretty... in the movie. I mean, I only know, I think, the, I only know the main character is um, Dylan O'Brien. Because I, I never saw the movies. I think it was just by the time, because the movies, the first movie I think came out in 2014. And by then I would have been in high school. So it was like two years when I would have read the books. So I read the books in middle school. And I think I just was never really interested. I don't know why I never saw the movies, but I mean, I also never finished the series. So obviously I wasn't that invested in this series. Well, I mean, I read the series for if anyone out there knows what this is, 
we used to have RC points. It's called reading counts in middle school where you would like read books and have to take tests on it. You had to earn a certain number of points like every trimester or whatever. But that's why I read the books. So if anybody knows what that is, let us know. I feel like that may have been, was that a California state thing? I mean, it could be, but we used to have that only in middle school. I had that at my middle school, but it was definitely just like something my middle school did called Golden Dragon Books. And if you read a certain number of Golden Dragon Books, you got to like get like 10 free books from the library. Oh, that sounds fun. But it was like, it was something like, it was a whole system. Like there was an online database for the reading counts and like you could only select books that they had because they had specific quizzes designed for the books. So then I feel like you probably, that might have been like a state of California, like educational board thing, or at least like a county thing. I'll have to look it up. Well, I just pulled up the, yeah, the movie has like, like the, of the five people that are listed for primary billing, it's pretty famous people. Dylan O'Brien, the person who plays Teresa, she was honestly not that well known, though she was in Skins, I believe, um. Thomas Brody Sangster is like obviously super famous and then was, you know, in Game of Thrones before he got into the Maze Runner and he was in Love Actually as a kid. Like he was a child actor. He also was like mm-hmm. the voice of Phineas and Ferb, I think. Will Poulter, super famous. He's about to become a freaking Avenger, I believe. And obviously he's known from the Chronicles of Narnia movies and Patricia Clarkson is like famous, 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 famous. So like it was a really star-studded cast, but... Yeah, because I don't even know how the movies like did, like... I mean, they made all three of them. Which they made all three Divergent. of them, so obviously they did better than Divergent. <laughs> I'm so funny. Sorry, this whole we thought this podcast was going to be us reading books, but it's actually just us dunking on the Divergent series for the rest of eternity. I mean, it's for rest of eternity. Like Divert, <laughs> Divergent is just constantly the punchline. Okay, where were we in the books? Oh yes, my saying that basically he is in perfect condition, and I hope it gets explained at some point because otherwise it feels like a plot hole. Yes, and he's also superhumanly emotionally intelligent, like, as a 16-year-old boy. But, like, good for him because he tells Chuck that he should never feel bad about crying when they're kind of, like, they're having this conversation about, you know, do you think we have, like, parents out there who miss us? Because, like, since they don't remember anything about their lives. And Chuck is, like, kind of crying a little bit. And Thomas is like, never feel bad about crying. And I was like, wow, like... What a healthy mindset to have for this six-year-old boy who doesn't know anything about life, but he knows that it's okay to cry. Good for you. (laughs) Go, Thomas. Well done. Yep. So then, like, Albie, we're back to Albie with the changing, and he also says that he saw Thomas specifically helping the creators while he was going through the changing But he kind of thinks that there's something fishy about these memories, Albie does, because, like, maybe they could be fake memories planted by the creators. And he does mention that the state of the world is terrible. So that's kind of pointing to this, the flare thing of, like, it's obviously, I mean, we know this is a dystopian novel, so it's obviously, like, post-apocalyptic. But that's basically what they're saying, which has been hinted, like, with what Ben said of, like, we shouldn't leave the maze of... This idea of whatever's outside of the maze could actually be worse than the situation they're actually in. And again, I don't remember details, but I do remember I'm assuming what this like references or like what it, what he's trying to say, I think. Well, obviously, I wouldn't remember details since I've never read it. I was incredibly confused by this whole <laughs> section. 
But it's actually like a perfect place to end, like because we basically finish with Thomas wrapping up his one day in jail and he's going to start runner training tomorrow. So it's like a really great place to actually like end our discussion. Do you have any comments, Asia? I'm just really enjoying this. It's very like, I'm trying to think of the other series we've covered of like, because even when we were at Divergent, I didn't remember Divergent exactly, but I definitely remembered it more than I remembered these books, which I think I read Divergent after this. But I think also since I haven't read the last book, I don't have a conclusion to the story. So like, even if I remember some of these things, like since I don't know how it ends, it's still like, it's, I feel like it's much harder for me to like form something. So I'm just excited to like keep reading and see if what I think, um, like what I think of where the story is going is going to actually be what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, so I want to mention, I really love the name Thomas and I like, I just kept thinking about it. Like as I was reading the book, I was like, I really love the name Thomas. And I really like that our protagonist is called Thomas. Just thought I would share that with our listeners. That like, these are things I think about (laughs) when I'm reading Asia, on the other hand, is like, that's a bad name. I'm renaming the character. Whereas I'm like, I really... Well, Thomas is fine. That is a nice name. It's not Lina. Oh, my God. I'm going to throw up. And... Again, so sorry if that's your name (laughs) out there listening. I mean, not to get sidetracked, but when I read read The Golden Compass, as we know, if you've listened to the podcast, I read the first book multiple times as a child, and I had them on audiobooks, and I would play them in my, like, CD player in my bedroom and my mom would come in and she'd be like Lyra is the dumbest name ever like (laughs) and Asia knows my mom so she can visualize my mom just like being sassy to me about that just like Lyra's a stupid name Charles and I'm like I like the name Lyra now I mean I'm not gonna name it sounds like fantasy to me so I would never name my child that yeah Lyra's not that bad like I said nothing will compare to Lima Bean that was a terrible name well I like the name Thomas and I think, I don't know if this is going to be important or not, but there is clearly multiple multiculturalism of these boys because Newt is, I believe he's supposed to be Scottish or Irish, and Albie is clearly supposed to be, like, Southern African American, and Thomas is supposed to be, like, general, you know, Caucasian archetype, I assume. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, just fiction. And then Minho is obviously supposed to be... I mean, they literally, like, in the book, it says, Mino is Asian. Like, it literally states it. I know. And I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be important or whether it was just, like, since it doesn't matter to the plot, like, it's not a book about racism. I mean, maybe it will be. Who knows? But since it's not, like, either it was very thoughtful of of whatever the author was to, like, just kind of make it universal or it's going to be relevant. I don't think it has to do with race. But, again, I could not misremember. But I do think that, but yes, I do remember the book is like pretty diverse. Like it's like the characters are just clearly described as like being of other races besides white. Like it's very clear. I mean, even though it's clear in other books, like the Hunger Games, people still seem to think certain characters are white. But (laughs) this is like very clear. Like I said, it was literally said in the book that like, it's not like Mino was like not described as being like having Asian features. Like Mino is Asian. Like that's literally what was written in the book. So I think that's, it is yeah. nice to just have clear. Okay. These are clearly diverse. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying like, I thought that was incredibly refreshing to like read that. Yeah. I because, agree. It, I mean, again, so far it hasn't been like the race of the characters has not like figured into like conflicts, you know, 
Like, it hasn't, you know. Yeah. Like, so far, Gally is like, I'm clearly the secret leader, but it's not like he's been, like, saying that because Albie's black, you know? It's just like, Albie's black, period. Yeah. You know, I... Yeah, I don't, I I don't like know it. if, like, Ray's going to play into it. I mean, I just, I honestly don't remember. It definitely could, but I do, I mean, I also noticed that when I was reading that, yeah, it's it's just really clearly stated, like, nobody could question, and I'm pretty sure, like, again, I haven't seen the movies, but I'm sure since it was so clearly stated in the book that it was cast appropriately, but. I would freaking hope so. We'll have to find out. We will have to find out, won't we? Well. Any final comments? I think that's it. I'm just ready to dive into the second half and maybe find out who this Thomas really is and if he can speak into Teresa's mind too or if it's just her speaking to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm expecting we'll find out something more about it, but we'll see. Yeah, we definitely will. So if you do read along with us, go ahead and finish this book and yeah, finish the Maze Runner for next week. And as always, if you have predictions, theories, or questions, or you just want to keep talking to us about The Maze Runner, remember that you can stay in touch with us about anything on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty and facebook.com slash thenerdparty. To find me, I'm at asiabonia on TikTok, where I'm trying to be a little bit more active, and Twitter, where... I still haven't logged in. And at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. And to find me, I'm at C. Ishuland on Twitter. Very, very rarely. And I'm at Seashells on Instagram. And I've never clarified this. So I should just say it's C-S-C-H-E-L-S, not like the seashells. But it's a play on words because <laughs> my name is Sheeland. And so... See shells. I I think you've clarified it before, but I could just imagine somebody typing in like <laughs> seashells, and they're like, "He lied. This isn't his account. This is account just with seashells on it." Like someone has like got the Instagram domain for s e a s h e l l s, and they've got it like a blue verified check, and they're like, "This can't be Charles." <laughs> oh, they're like, maybe he's also obsessed with seashells. Like no. They like DM them like, what what book are you covering next? And they're like, who is this? Yeah, it, what are you? It's talking a play about? on words based on my last name. So C S C H E L S Seashells. And remember that to help grow our podcast, the best way to do that is to rate and review our podcast. So give us a star rating, also write a review, and subscribe, of course, and then share with everyone that you know that might be interested in it. And, you know, what I really like to do when I talk about the podcast is I like to tell people about the different series we've covered. And then I'm just like, go start with a series that you've read or that you care about, because you don't have to necessarily start with Percy Jackson, because we start with Percy Jackson. Like, you can start, we have friends that have started just with Twilight when we started covering Twilight, because they're like, we obviously know Twilight really well. So, you know, just a recommendation, like, tell people to start with a series they've read before. Though... I will say, if you start with Percy Jackson, listen all the way through, you do kind of get to see the progression of Asia and my progression towards a stand-up routine, which is basically what our podcast is now. (laughs) Yes. And if you have any suggestions for a series going forward, we're always looking for other requests. So go ahead and send us an email or a DM, whatever's best for you. But we're at the end of the episode, so make sure you're hitting that subscribe. 
have a good one and we'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.